0: Uh, preaching this many messages, but the Lord will not uh, allow me to get away from this. Uh, Brother Daniel mentioned these uh, invitation cards. We printed these so you could use them. And uh, that's kind of obvious, but people, more people will attend Easter Sunday than any other Sunday during the year. So use them. When you go out to eat, uh, leave them uh, there. Uh, In fact, the best thing to do is to invite people, uh, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, co-workers, and uh, people you don't know. Say, hey, we attend church, love to have you. Uh, I'll sit with you if you'd you'd come. Be amazed at how many people are thinking about it at this time of year. Of course, today is the first day of spring, and uh, there's something about spring, the newness of the day, of the season, and so uh, there's a symbolic aspect to it, and even lost people want something fresh. They want something new. So please help us and uh, help people. Really, not us. Help people uh, come to Christ. You can be a, a means to that. Um, God bless you, Presley. Thank you for uh, for your your service. And uh, man, you got a wonderful future. Um, I asked Jeff a while ago. I said, Where is he? He said, Oh, he went out. I said, He went out there to take a nap after what you've been through. But uh, we're proud of you, son. And uh, God be with you. Uh, some of you will receive some help this morning. I hope all of you will, but some of you will be really uh, helped. I have preached uh, not this message, I've never preached this message, but a message of this tone. Uh, several times and uh, it's always come with with blessing because people have this need and it's here in the text and uh, you will discover it as we move along here. Uh, I, I believe as we and if you've been here in recent weeks you know that I've said this over and over and I'll say it again today that the idea here is is one of hope. There's a man dying he's being executed there were two people Executed with Jesus. One on the left side, one on the right side. And uh, they were there for six hours, from nine o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon. And they knew they were dying. One man uh, asked for mercy and asked to be remembered, asked to be forgiven. Jesus, the first thing he said, he said seven things from the cross. And in those seven statements, there were only 59 words in English. Imagine that. Now, we talk about what Jesus said from the cross, and he only said 59 words in English. That's amazing, 59 words. And when Jesus and Father forgive them, uh, they both needed to be forgiven. But one knew, I'm about to meet God, I'm about to go to hell. I need forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I've broken God's law. And I'm I'm facing an accountability in eternity without God. The other man continued, as the first one did, to mock the Lord Jesus, as many in the crowd did with the soldiers and the religious leaders. And uh, both of them did initially. But the one repented and put his faith in Christ, and the other... Uh, continued to reject Christ. And uh, the reason the man did is he, he was looking for hope. He was looking for some hope. And as I latched onto that I began to read the passage here, I, I, I had this thought that people are hungry. They're hungry for hope was talking to our, our missionary, Ed Gibson, about two years ago. We were on the phone. We were just talking about some things, about church work and ministry and so forth. And uh, Brother Ed said, just casually, he said, you know, Rick, I, I'm finding that uh, people in church, when they come to church, they're just looking for some hope. They're looking for hope. And I agree with him. Uh, some uh, churches and and pastors i'm not putting anybody down, but they don't know how to give hope um, and then some people offer hope, uh, but they really they really don't it's an empty shell I'll show you that in just a moment. so people are hungry for hope, but they don't know where to find it and instead they they offer the these slogans that are really filled with with circular reasoning. And they're just dead ends. In fact, if you want to, to find some, not even humor, just some sadness, if you go to um, get on the computer sometimes, don't use your phone. I have to say that a lot now. Just that is a computer, isn't it? Uh, we just need to kill the internet in here. Put one of them internet killers in here. Uh, we're not going to do that. Uh, I want to give you some hope. And uh, the sermon gets bored, And... Uh, and just put uh, quotes. Now, I always like to put Christian quotes because there's a difference. There are some sites that have just Christian quotes. And then put hope and find out what comes up. But even under Christian quotes, it's just totally alien of what is Christian. Um, for example, uh, Napoleon Bonaparte, the uh, French military leader, one of his primary statements, which has some some seeds of truth in it. He said that one of the primary functions of a leader is to give hope. Some of you have heard that before. One of the primary functions of a leader is to give hope. I believe that. I do believe that, but it's only half of the truth. It's just half of the truth. Because for many people, listen carefully, for many people, when they hear that, it's just a form of empty cheerleading. say, what do you mean by that, Rick? Uh, It's like this. Come on, you can do this. It's going to get better. Uh, We got this. And and forgive me, again, for referencing my sister. She's on my mind. I heard another song driving to church this morning. I stopped and I, I sent it to her. I thought that this will... This will help you. Listen to this song, this will help you. She has stage four cancer. Well, come on, Melanie, get some hope. It's going to get better. Come on. Now, I'm all for positive mindset. Really, I am. I'm not a pessimist. But, but hope must have an anchor. And, and, and I believe that leaders need to be, quote, dealers in hope. But your but your hope must have a anchor point. You just can't listen carefully. You can't just create hope. Hope is a byproduct. For many people, it's like listen carefully what I'm saying. I'm giving you a little biblical philosophy here. It's like having hope in hope. I'm hoping in hope. But what are you hoping for? Hope. And it's 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 his power of positive thinking. This is not what this thief had. He had an object of his hope. Back in the late 60s and the early 70s, there was a movement called the Jesus Movement. And uh, people were saved out of it. And it was also uh, the the hippie movement. Some of you young people don't remember this, but uh, some of you older if you would like to know, ask Brother Sisko and see his old driver's license. Do you have that on you? Does he have it? Pam, he won't tell me. Does he have it? He has it. After the service, say, Andy, I want to see your license, and you can see what a hippie looked like. And uh, I'm just messing with it. Me. He's one of my dear friends. But uh, he, yeah, he was. He was. We were very close. And he was a great church member. In fact, the rest of this story here was going to be true of Andy. <laughs> but I'm going to tell it about my sister. Um, I remember going into Melanie's room, and I've always been kind of a, a thinker. I don't mean smart. I'm not saying that. But, just, but I would think things. I would go below the surface. And anybody that's been around me, they know that I do that. I just don't look at something and go on. I'll, in fact, Paula will say the she said, have you noticed the new license plates for Alabama, the state of Alabama? I said, no. I, and she said, well, here they are. I really like this about them. I said, oh. And I said, you know, Paul, I never noticed license plates. I mean, the cars, the cars. I just get in a car to go somewhere. I don't even know, notice models of cars. And I, I know, I know. But I said, my brain can only assimilate so much stuff, so I focus on what's important to me. Now I'm not against people liking cars and license plates and, and those kinds of things. But when I when I when I want to get on something, I, I go into it really deep. And I was like that when I was a kid, kind of a nerdy function, I guess. So I remember walking into my sister's room and she had a it was kind of a a, a yellow flower. That was come from the hippie movement, remember? A yellow flower, and it was on a green stem. And you pulled the, the back part off and it, st- it stuck on the wall. How many of you older people remember that? Cool, neat, groovy. <laughs> you stuck those on there, on the wall. And then on it, it said, have faith. Have faith. And God knows I'm not I'm not criticizing my sister. I know what she meant by it. But I, I, I was in there one day and my, me and Hoss, so our bedroom was right next to hers. And I remember looking at I said, now, well, have faith in what? Have faith. I think it's Mark eleven I'm not sure. It says, have faith in God. Have faith. But I will guarantee you that many of you have heard that. Man, you just got to have faith. Have faith in the dollar, have faith in filling the blank. Well,. Your faith is only as strong as the object of your faith. The answer is not to cultivate your faith. It's not the strength of your faith that takes you to heaven. It's not the strength of your faith that helps you enjoy your Christian life. It's the strength of the object of your faith. Listen carefully. A weak faith can get you to heaven if the object is right. But a strong faith in the wrong object is destructive. And that's the way it is. That's the way it is with hope. You cannot just just cultivate hope and, and, and bolster your hope up. Now I'm laying a foundation because we're going to go somewhere with this with the rest of the message. One of my favorite expressions, I don't know if it's a definition, it's really an example of faith uh, in the Bible. Is in Hebrews 12 too. And the Bible says, it's looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And those first three words, those first three words, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, that's what faith is. It's resting in Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. Looking Jesus unto Jesus. The word looking there means to turn your eyes away from everything else and fix them on a singular focus. It means to be extremely attentive, looking unto Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. What are you looking to? Where's your focus this morning? You know, sometimes I'll look at him and I'll look away. And I'll look back, but 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 my faith, my faith is in Jesus. Remember when old Pete was in the water, he's walking on the water, and man, he was doing fine as long as he was looking at Jesus. But when he started looking at the waves and the wind, he began to sink. Faith is just looking at Jesus, nothing more, nothing less. It's not complicated. If you just have hope and hope, it's not going to work. What are you looking to today? your hope. So our story today that we're going to look at is about a man whose hope was sinking and diminishing minute by minute. As I said earlier, being executed by crucifixion, a very painful, the most cruel form of execution uh, many historians say devised by the Romans. And the only person that could help him in the world was beside him in the middle cross there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the text with me there in Luke 23. Notice in verse 32, Luke twenty three thirty two. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, this is the first thing he said from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted, that is the soldiers, they parted his raiment and they cast lots or they gambled for his clothes. Apparently they did this for other people, you know, when they had things. Now his garments were, were very special too. Number one, because of who he was and secondly, how they were made. Don't have time to go into that. Verse 35, and the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. The superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. The word railed means to speak derogatory, uh, to mock, to vilify, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, this is the one that needed hope, answering, rebuked him, that is his, maybe his friend, maybe they were uh, in cohorts together in crime. saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we, indeed justly, For we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, now here's his request for hope, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, here's the second statement, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here's this man dying without hope in the closing hours of his life, and he reaches out to the only one that can help him. Now here's the takeaway, and I'm going to apply this in a a very laser-focused way this morning, that Jesus died so you can live forever and so you can have hope. Now there's four big ideas about salvation. I've given you two already. I'm going to give you a third this morning. The simplicity of salvation, I said salvation is not simple, or it's not simplistic, but it's simple. God did the hard part, but He left the easy part with us, if you can call it that way. Verse 42, and He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, remember me. He was just reaching out, saying, God, remember me. You know, there are different ways that people ask for salvation. And Luke 18, one man said, have mercy on me. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not the words in the prayer, it's the attitude of your heart. Paul and I were talking recently about about, uh, when she got saved. She was saved when she was 29 years old here in this church. She was a pastor's wife. And uh, she said, we were recalling that. And she had won people to Christ. But she was very unsettled about it. And I remember she walked out down this aisle right here. I saw her coming down. And I saw the torture in her, her expression. And we'd been talking about this, in fact, for a number of years. And, uh, and we knelt over here. We had pews at the time. And I said, honey, I put my arm around her. I said, you know what to do. I wasn't going to do anything to have her lean on, on anything, because this was between her and God. And she told me something, and we've talked about this before too, but it reminded me, she said, Rick, I believe I, believe I got saved when I stepped out in the aisle. Because that was the expression of faith. Because her, her, her faith was not in the prayer. And she's right. She's right. Salvation isn't based on what you have done or what you can do. It's based on what Jesus did. It's the attitude of your heart. Do you get this? Do you see this? You see, I I counsel people that are struggling with the assurance of their salvation frequently. It's probably one of the most common issues that I deal with. And one of the things I never do, and I want to recommend this to you, those of you that are parents with your children or deal with other people, and I never, I never, I never tell them they're saved, I never tell them they're lost unless they have obviously have never trusted Christ. But I never tell them they're saved. Oh, you're saved? I know you're saved. Even if I think they are. There are some people, I believe, oh, I think they're saved, but they're doubting. Because this is an issue between them and God. And they need the words of God. They need the ministry of the Holy Spirit speaking to them, not their pastor, not someone that maybe can influence them. You know many people, the reason they doubt their salvation, it's it's related. Here's what I've learned. Listen carefully to this because it's related to something that they have done. And here's what I mean by that. Well, I, I can't remember the day. I can't remember the words I said. Well, I I, I don't know. I I and, and I I. And sometimes I'll stop and I say, "Do you hear what you're saying?" It's all about you. Well, and then I did this, and then and I, I said, it's not about Jesus. It's looking unto Jesus. He's the Savior, not you. You know, my favorite synonym for faith is resting. And you've been around me. You see, words, and I use Bible words, but sometimes if you've grown up in church, they lose their punch. I still use them. Like Faith. We use the word faith, but it loses its punch. And so what I will do, I will use that, but I will use synonyms with it. Not to change it, but we understand rest. Rest means, hey, I'm resting. I'm not doing anything. I'm just going, riding down the rapid, sitting in the tube. He's carrying me. He said, well, hold it. That's it. That's it. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm trusting Him. I'm looking unto Jesus. Well, what what kind of raft am I on? That's not the point. What time did did I get in the raft? That's not the point. What kind of car did I get in? What kind of tags were on the car? They got me. That's not the point. The point is I'm resting. I'm resting. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. And Jesus heard this man's cry in verse 43. And he said, I, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. It's simple. Listen, some of you, you're, you're in torture. And you're confused and you're agitated in your spirit. And the enemy loves to do this to you. Many times I'll say, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many would say, I'm not for sure. If I were to die, I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know. And, and many of you would say, I need to raise my hand because I'm not sure. I'd like to know, but I grew up in church. I don't want anybody to know. Because you, ha- you have this deep-seated doubt. I can remember <clears throat> singing in the choir when I was a teenager. And there were times that I had doubts. But I was afraid of what people would say. And there's some of you here that you, you have these doubts. And there's an agitation and you, and you worry, what if my heart stops beating? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Salvation is simple. Number two, the cost of salvation. Jesus paid the cost. The only cost involved for us is not what we do, but it's what we know. It's what we acknowledge. And it's really not a cost we pay, but there is something. That's called repentance. Repentance. Now I taught you this last week. Repentance is not what you do. And here's an illustration that you will see. And listen, watch carefully. Okay? Because I, I know the intent of this, but it's not accurate. You'll see this sometimes. People will say, This is repentance. I'm going this way, and then I have 180 degrees. This is repentance. And that's not true. That's the fruit of repentance. That's a result of repentance. That's a byproduct of repentance. That's what happens when you repent, but that's not repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. It's internal. It's not external. You see, I can do this and not repent. I've seen people do it. I've seen people stop drinking and cussing and running around for a season Oh, look, they repented. No, they didn't. There's nothing on the inside that changed. Repentance is internal. It's a change of mind about yourself. You're not self righteous anymore. You're broken. It's a change of mind about the law of God. It's a change of mind about God and who He is. It's a change of mind. And this man, this thief there, he began to come to repentance. He was broken. His conscience, his heart came under conviction. Did you know, listen carefully, you cannot be saved until you've been lost. Are you listening? You ever realize when you were lost? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I can't I can't remember that. Well, and, and listen, I don't I don't believe as a preacher in causing people to doubt, but I'm gonna make a statement that I need to make. If you can't remember when you were under conviction, you may not be saved. Now, it's possible when you were four and five that that may be true. But I got saved when I was nine. I remember being under conviction. Your heart is seized. The older you are and your sins are weightier. But you're convicted of your sins. Your conscience is grieved. No, just come. Yeah, I think I think I need Jesus. Yeah, I'll, I'll add him on my resume. Oh no, oh no. Let, let me let me show you a few things here. This is important. A person under conviction for sin gets serious about their sin. And how do you know that they're serious about their sin? They begin to fear God. They begin to fear God. If you look in the text there, in Luke 23, verse thirty-nine, one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us." But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God? Do you not fear God? Now, earlier he didn't fear God. He was cussing and misbehaving just like that. But all of a sudden, fear came in his heart. I'm about to meet God. All of a sudden, he disengaged from the crowd. That's, that's not what saved him. It wasn't his actions. But some, listen, something was happening internal to him. And the repentance external, the fruits of repentance, were a result of something that was happening inside. He was convicted of a sins. Number two, a person under conviction for sin realizes that they're fully responsible for their sin and their actions. It's not my daddy's fault. It's not my sister's fault. It's not my kid's fault. It's not my boss's fault. That caused me to steal. That caused me to run around on my wife or run around on my... It's, not, it's my fault. If you'll notice in the text there, verses 39 through 41, when the thief that repented, he said, you're, you're in the same condemnation. We're condemned. And we indeed justly, we receive the due reward, the due reward of our deeds. We ought to be crucified. We deserve this. This is our fault. We're getting what we deserve. There's no blame game here. I deserve to go to hell. Then number three, a person under conviction has a place to go. I like this one for mercy. Because there is a Savior that has paid the penalty for their guilt. And at the end there in verse 41, he said, This man, hath speaking of Jesus, hath done nothing a miss. He's done nothing wrong. He's up there hanging on the cross. He's talking to his buddy across from Jesus. Not talking to him. He says, hey, he hasn't done anything wrong. The implication is he wants to forgive us. And he knows he has a kingdom because he said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. He knows he's a savior because he's heard him say, you saved others. Yourself, you can't save. And he's heard all of these words. And he knows he is the Savior. He is the King. He is the Messiah. He knows who he is. He says, we're guilty. So salvation has a cost. But that cost is really not something you pay. It's not something you do. It's a realization that you something that happens. On, have you ever repented? Have you ever come under conviction? And are what I mean by Repent. It's not paid penance. No, no, no. It's not something you do. It's when you come under conviction because of who you are. And your spirit changes. I remember when they had the, well, I don't remember, but I read about the revival in Romania and uh, the worldly people that weren't getting saved. Do you know what they called the Romanians that were in revival? They called them the repenters. The repenters. Because once you get saved, you don't just repent when you're saved. You keep on repenting. The Bible said David was a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't perfect, but he kept on repenting. You see, this brokenness that starts at salvation, it continues. And it's a death to pride. You just become a, I don't want to use the word professional. That's not a good word. But you you become a, a consistent repenter. You begin to use the word, I'm sorry, and yes, I did it. And if anybody can do it, I can. And it knocks the self-righteousness out of you. But all that begins at salvation. You know, some of you, you're so self-righteous. And you're so critical, and you're so mean. Could it be, could it be, you've never been to the cross, you've, you've never repented. I'm not talking about a work. But you've never been under conviction. From day one? You're always pointing the finger at other people? But you've never been to the cross? Number three, the certainty of salvation. Salvation is certain. Oh, these are blessed words. A word of assurance. A word of assurance. That's what this is. Many people, and and I put this in my notes... And I put it there on Many people, you know, part of my job is, is being with people when they die. I don't ask for it, but on more occasions than I can count and that I enjoy is being with people that that are tortured, wondering if they're going to heaven, and some of them I believe I believe they're saved. I, I was with a, a precious woman that went to our church for many, many years. And uh, she was in the hospital for, for a couple of months. And and then I would go visit her and and the last couple of weeks. And I could see the torture in her eyes. And I knew what it was. I said, are you afraid? She said, I am. I'm afraid. I said, can I read some verses about heaven for you? I would read those verses. I said, "Are you afraid you're not going to heaven?" She said, "I am." You see, the enemy the enemy will make you doubt. I read those verses. I said, "Have you ever done this?" She said, "Yes, I have." And I could see the anxiety melt off of her face. I said, "Well, if your heart stops beating tonight, where she said, "I'm going to heaven, preacher." And I would walk away, and then come back a few days later, and I'd see the anxiety again. You know, you know what the problem was. Her peace was related to me as long as I was in the room. Not the Word of God, not the promises of God, not the peace of God. And I never tried to convey that. In fact, I tried to divorce that. No, no, listen. Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus. There's nothing more miserable than doubting your salvation. Some of you have been there. Some of you have been with me and dealing with this understand listen I, I've spent a lot of time with precious people in our church, a lot of people in my driveway in this building, in their homes. I remember I went over to home one night and uh, someone called me it was about one o'clock in the morning, and I saw a Bible sitting out on the uh, table there the little book table there right in front of the couch I mean, that's not what you call it but I don't pay attention to the license plates and tables and so I'm just messing with you I really can't remember the name of it but don't anyhow. meanwhile back at the ranch so it was out there and immediately immediately it was as if I knew what it was I knew this this precious man is struggling with the assurance of his salvation He said, Rick, I I don't know if I'm saved. So we sat there for much of the night. And in the process of having that conversation, I "I want to ask you a question. Because everybody else was in the bed, wife and kids. I said, sometimes when you're laying there at night and you're just in misery and you're 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 full of fear, do you ever say, Lord, if I'm not saved, save me now? And he wait. He said, yeah, how did you know? I said, because I used to do that when I was a teenager. I said, that's why I asked you. And I said, you know what? Nothing happened. I said, I'll tell you why nothing happened, because I was looking for a feeling. I was looking for something, a jolt. Now, I don't mean literally, but yeah, there it is. I wasn't looking unto Jesus. I was looking unto a prayer. I was looking unto emotions. I was looking unto Jesus. Can you imagine if my father, after school, I used to go to Hogan's Groceries across the street. My dad used to work. Had a little charge account there. He said, son, anytime, this is when I was at Stone, junior high school, used to be the old butler. He said, anytime you want to go there, you want to get your soft drink, candy bar, you just put it on my account. They dad dead things. Sometimes I'd go over there with Mike McFarlane or some other guys. I'd get me a candy bar, get me a soft drink, and I'd put it up there. And they already knew me. I didn't have to say my dad's name. They just put it up on daddy's account. Let's say that uh, I went in and, went and said, well, let, let me pay for that. I said, no, no, your dad's God. Yeah, but I don't I don't trust him. I don't trust my dad. I've got some money I'm going to start paying for. it. Then after a while, my dad said, hey, you haven't put anything on that charge account in the last couple of months. Well, yeah, yeah. What's wrong? I told you to do that. And I see you over there with Mike and your buddies. I want to do that for you. Well, dad, I just, you know, some things have happened and I, I just don't trust you. I don't think you'll take care of it. I'm dishonoring my father. I'm not trusting my Father. He's going to pay the bill. He makes more money than I am. And that, that is just a microcosm of what you do to your Heavenly Father. You say, well, I just don't know if He'll save me. I don't know if He'll keep me. Yeah, I don't know if He'll keep His Word. For, forgive, me. forgive me, gang. Listen, really? Really? As good as He has been... As faithful as he is, and, and you think you are more faithful than he really? But I know whom I have believed, and he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You see, listen, when people doubt their salvation, they're either doubting the certainty of their salvation, or they're doubting the fact that they, they've been saved. And they're allowing these feelings, these emotions, to be a greater barometer in their life than the truth of the relationship they have with their father, even when the emotion is gone. Sometimes I tell people I have to be careful that, because it almost sounds blasphemous, I don't even know what it feels like to be saved. I've gotten to the place for decades, many, 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 many decades. I, get, I don't even know what it means to feel saved. I just know I am. I don't know what it feels like to wonder if my dad's my dad. I just know he's my father, and I'm his son. He just, that's just the way it is. I have a heavenly father. I have an earthly father. Why do you doubt your heavenly father more than your earthly father? And by the way, some of you doubt your heavenly father because you had either a distant relationship or an abusive relationship with your earthly father, you transferred that over, and that's another issue. But that's no excuse. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more should your heavenly father give good things to them that ask him? He's a good God. He's a good father. When I was thinking about this, I thought about good people in the Bible, great people that doubted. John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, all the things that Jesus was doing. But I want you to notice where John was. He was in prison. John was in prison. The forerunner of Jesus, his cousin, the one that was announcing... The Messiah's coming, and now he's in prison, soon to be executed, beheaded. He didn't know that was coming. They were going to cut his head off. But this is a reward for faithfulness, prison. The next verse, and he said unto him, Art thou he, unto Jesus, art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Ever read that verse? John sent messengers, and this was a question. Jesus, John has a question for you. Are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? Now, why did he say that? Well, the next verse says he was in prison. Now, you may not be in prison, but you're having a hard time. And so you say, well, God, is this real? Is this salvation real? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is real. And he's good. In that same chapter, a few verses down, let me show you what Jesus said about John. In Matthew 11 and verse 11, he said, "'Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist.'" You know what Jesus told the people when they realized the the word started spreading about John's discouraged, he's doubting? Jesus said, Listen, the greatest man that was ever born is John the Baptist. Now I have a question for you. Are you better than John the Baptist? I remember years ago hearing Dr. Robertson on more than one occasion uh, say, I never doubted my salvation. And there's some people I've heard to say that. And I believe them. But there's not many. Are you better than John? I don't think so. Are you the one or do we look for I'm having some doubts here. Things aren't going good and... And then later in Matthew chapter 14, when Herod took the life of Jesus in verse 10, notice this, and Herod sent and beheaded John Had his soldiers to take an axe and chopped his head off in the prison. He never got out. And his head was brought in a charger, that is a platter, and given to the damsel, this is a girl that danced, It was a deal, a deal that was made for this. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body. I don't even know if they got his head. It it reads, apparently, they just got the body. They didn't get his head. not sure about that. And they buried it. And they, now watch, here's why I'm showing you this verse. And they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, about John's death and how he died... He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. You see that? I just want to be by myself a while. Jesus was God but he was also man, he was human. I love this man. I love this man. I just want to be by myself a while. I think he was grieving. And the next line, you have to be a preacher or you can be a parent to understand this too. And the people followed him. He didn't even have time to kind of just, I need some time. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. He said, "I, I need." I, Jesus said, I, I've got to be by myself for a while. And the people came after him. They said, we need food. We need healing. We need teaching. Another man, Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, spent three years with Jesus and was very devoted. John chapter 20 and verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. That is the first time he showed himself to them. The other disciples therefore said unto him, unto Thomas, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see... And what is that? That's a sense. Your senses. Except I shall see in his hands the prints of his nails and put my finger in the print of his nails and thrust my hand in his sides. What's that? That's touching. Seeing and touching. See the senses, the emotions, if you will. I will not believe. My faith is tied to my senses. I'm not believing this unless I have the senses. My sensories have to be involved, and then my emotions, if you will, they have to be involved. And after eight days, again, his disciples were within, indoors, that is, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Okay, I'll give you what you want. Reach hither thy finger. Behold my hands, reach hither thy hand. Here it is. You can have your senses thrusting into my side. And watch what Jesus, be not faithless, but believing. You're not resting. You're checking the inner tube. You're you're examining your prayer. Well, let let me see if I can figure all this out rather than just resting. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And he said, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. You are are God. You are the Lord. Now here, I, I read this passage to show you this. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Because of your senses, your emotions. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You see that? There is a blessing for people that do not require your senses and your emotions. This is spiritual maturity. You know what I would do if I were the devil? If I were the devil, for every person that was a Christian, I would make them, and stay with me, I would make them doubt their salvation. And everyone that was not saved, I would make them think they were saved. And I've seen that happen. Because I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep the ones that are going to hell, I'm going to keep them going to hell because oh yeah, I'm good. I go to church. I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I would make them think they're saved. And the ones that are saved, I can't have their soul, so I want their effectiveness. I want to keep them in confusion. And so that's the way that he works. And it's amazing that sometimes. Passages in the Bible, we, we view passages in the Bible through our own insecurities. When, when you read them, rather than causing us to be insecure, if you're a Christian, they provide assurance. I'm going to show you one. And the passage I'm going to read causes a lot of people to say, Whoa, man, I don't know, that, that causes me trouble. But when you read it, you say, Wow, that gives me a lot of security. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, Not every everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many, many will say unto me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me ye that work iniquity. Now not everybody's going to heaven. In fact, many people aren't. Most people aren't. So people read that and they say, Wow, that may be me. Well it depends. Let me ask you a question. If you read this, these people were focused on their works. I prophesied. I've cast out devils. I've done many wonderful works. You know what these people are depending upon for their salvation? Their works. Now I want to ask you, is that what you're depending upon? Well, if you're not, you're in pretty good shape. Because when I stand before Jesus, and I won't have to, it won't be like this, that's not going to be my plea. It's like the song, the line in Rock of Ages, Uh, In my hand, simply thy cross I cling. Nothing else I bring. Just a cross. I'm not claiming any works. Nothing. I'm not claiming any of that stuff. So that doesn't apply to me. In fact, if you look at the last line, the Bible says, Jesus said, depart from ye that work, ye that work iniquity. And Then then when I profess, Jesus said, unto them I never knew you. So the focus here is is on relationship. It's on relationship. Are you concerned about your relationship with God? Do you have a relationship with God? Well, yeah, I do. And I'm not dependent. Well, these people didn't. They were focused on their works. Do you have a relationship with God? Does he have a relationship? Well, then this passage ought to affirm your salvation. Now, if you don't, if you don't, That's another matter. Then the third question. Do you have a concern about the will of God? Do you want to do God's plan for your life? That's why he said there, He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And that's the outgrowth of repentance in your life. Not the cause of salvation. It's a result of of this inner working in your life. of I I want to do God's pleasure for my life. You see these evidences here? These wonderful, wonderful evidences. Now, I want you to look at your text as we land the plane this morning. In Luke chapter 23, verse 43, notice what the thief said, Verily I say unto thee, today, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Notice that it's full of assurance. Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. The word verily, if I were to put the Greek word up there, you know what it is? It's Amen. Amen. That means truly. It means surely. It means that which is trustworthy. You can bank on this. That's what he's saying. This is my words. You can bank on this. Verily, truly, surely. Amen. I'm trustworthy. I say unto thee, it's not based on your feelings, it's not based on your emotions. This is my word. These are my words. Today, before the sun goes down, when, when your heart stops beating or when those soldiers come by and break your legs because these guys knew about crucifixion, and when you die today, you'll be with me. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Today. Today. I went by to see Hank Gagli a few days before he passed away. I think it was the afternoon before. Brother Mike Hall was in there, and later Ken Hislop walked in. Hank could hear, but he couldn't respond real well. Responded a little bit, but not much. And just to stand there and try to have a conversation and pray over him with him. He used to say that a lot, absent from the body present with the Lord because his wife had passed on. And the moment, the moment he died, today, that moment, to be absent from the body present with the Lord. Today, shalt thou, shalt thou, present tense, a guarantee from the, from the words of God, be with me in paradise, shalt thou, shalt thou. And, you know, my testimony, I've already hinted at it. I didn't have full assurance or full hope. I got saved when I was nine, and that was pretty good. I got up in my early teenage years, and I began to wonder, well, am I really saved? Heard good preaching. You know, I just don't feel it. By the way, what is that supposed to feel like? I'm not an emotional person. I am internally, but I'm not... Like a sanguine, always expressing things. I feel probably deeper than most sanguines. I just don't express it externally sometimes. How, how, how do you? What is it supposed to be like? Then, um, when I was 16 years old, I began to read my Bible every day. Every day. And I began to get something out of it, and that was a game changer. And I began to read about the character of God and the promises of God. And I saw who God's heart was and who He was and what He said counted. In 1 John chapter 5, and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And sometimes we use that text to prove to people that you can know that you're saved. But the Bible says, These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know. I wrote these things so you can know. Here's the idea. If you don't know these things, you're not going to know. Some of you, the best thing you can do is get in the Bible. And just start reading the Bible. I'm talking to getting something out of it every single day. If this is how the Bible you get is one hour a week, it's not going to help you. These things have I written unto you that believe you're already saved on the name of the Son of God that you may know it's possible to believe and not know. And in 1 John, he gives all of these birthmarks of the believer. Listen to this statement. One man said, The verity of your salvation is not determined by a past act, but by present fruitfulness. The verity of your salvation is not determined by a past act, but by present fruitfulness. He said, what does that mean? Typically, when we try to help people, come to know that they're saved when they doubt. We keep pointing back to the past that. Well, you meant it. You meant it back then. You must be... Remember back 40 years ago? Well, if you have life, the best way to know that you have life, put a stethoscope in. Yeah, it's there. Got a pulse. Do you have spiritual life? Do you have the evidences? You see... The verity of your salvation is not determined. The past act was the birth. But if you keep going back to your new birth, is there any life? Is there any spiritual life? Second Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, For if these things be in you, there's seven character qualities given there in 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1. If these things be in you and abound, you're growing spiritually. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, you're not growing, is blind and cannot see afar off. You're stumbling. Look at this. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. The assurance of your salvation is related to your spiritual growth. You cannot lose your salvation. But you can lose your assurance. And the best thing you can do is begin to grow. To begin to cultivate. Get in the word of God. Listen to some good sermons. Sunday, Sunday is not enough. Hebrews chapter 6. Before I do this, let, let me set this up. Please, please do not do this. I, I beg you, please don't do this. Please don't do this. I see it happen over and over again. This is important. Stay with me. I see this happen all the time. What happens is we see someone and they, they're they doubting and, well, I'm not sure, I'm not sure. And so you're, you're trying to help them and, and maybe you get frustrated with them because you're sure, but they're not. And you, you have to wait. It may take them two years. Just wait. Be patient. Maybe they need to be saved. Maybe there's some things that need to be settled here, but just wait. Well, I know what I'll do. I just, well, let's go ahead and drive a stake. The enemy, you just need to go back and, and they, that way you can go back and you say, okay, I didn't mean it back then, but I, but I mean it now. I'm going to ask you a question. If they're doubting this profession of faith, what makes you think they're, they're not going to doubt this profession of faith? Because I'm going to tell you something, they will. And then, when they get in a high-powered service with a very gifted evangelist, and boy, their friends are going forward, say, so, well, I don't feel it today. I think I'll go get me another dose. And especially, he says, if you're not sure, you need to drive a steak. Well, I got two stakes, but that didn't. Maybe I'll get me another one. I'm going to drive a, make this one up. You know what they're looking for? Listen to me. They're they're looking for feet- There are some of you here. You prayed three, four, five. You've been baptized five times. Now, if you haven't been saved, you need to get saved. I believe in once saved, always saved. But I do believe in once saved. you got to get saved. But well, some of you have driven so many stakes. What does the Bible say? Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. These are the fundamental principles. Principles, the basic elementary principles in the Christian life. Let us go on unto perfection. That means completeness. Morally, mentally, the idea of doctrine which produces godly character. Leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection. I have this underlined. Not Look at it, this is biblical. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from good works and of faith towards God. You don't need another profession. You don't need to keep on driving stakes. And some of you, precious good people, they've done this with your children. Here's my question when I deal with people I'll say, Have you ever done this before? Have you ever done this before? Well, yes, I have. Now, that doesn't mean they're saved. And, and here's, what, here's what happens when you deal with people because you're impatient and you're late for an appointment or you just an impatient person. You just want to get it over. You can't do this. These are people. Don't do this. Have you ever done this before? You have to let conviction bear in on them and then help them. Get them in the Word of God. I was in Alexandria, Virginia. I knocked on the door. I went in. There was a, Precious lady, their name, Mrs. Brown. I presented the gospel. Our music director, Jeff, was with me. I presented the gospel to Mrs. Brown. And uh, I said, Mrs. Brown, have you ever heard this before? She said, I have. I said, have you ever done this before? She said, I have. I said, have you trusted Jesus as your Savior? She said, I have. I said, that's wonderful. I said, Mrs. Brown, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? She said, I'm not sure. I said, well, have you trusted Christ as your Savior? She said, I have. I opened my Bible to John chapter 6 and verse 47 where the Bible says, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And I said, I want you to read this verse. We read it like 15 or 20 times and I was very, it took a long time. He that believeth on me, have you ever done that? When did you do that? She said, oh, I did that when I was a little girl, and I meant it with all of my heart. You believed on Christ. What do you have? She said, I have everlasting life. I said, it's not 10-year life. It's not 20-year life. It's everlasting life. How long? She said, that's forever. I said, half is a present tense verb. That means you have it right now. Do you have everlasting life? She said, yes, I do. She said, why? I said, because I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I said, Mrs. Brown, if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven? She said, I'm not sure. I said, I want to show you a verse. I said, let's read John 6.47. Then I went to John 5.24. And I very patiently walked through through the Word of God for 30 or 35 or 40 minutes, however long it took. Not until I had my way. But until the light bulb came on. She said, I see it. You know what you know what it was? It was like walking. On a river like they have up in New Hampshire in the winter that's covered with ice. She began to she was looking unto Jesus, but she was, okay, what if I'm wrong? I do trust Jesus, but yes. Yes, this is it. And that was over forty years ago. I'm sure she's passed away by now. She was an elderly woman. I want to ask you a question, I'm finished. Do you know that 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 that you're saved? If you don't know, one day you're going to need to know because you are going to die. And me or a staff member or a friend or somebody at the hospital, they're going to come see you. Aubrey was telling me about a patient she was with this week. said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And you need to get it settled. You either need to be saved, or you need to just say, God, I am saved, and quit looking for a feeling. Or you need to put your spiritual what's that thing called you put in here, Aubrey? Say it again. No, headphones. This stethoscope. Your spiritual stethoscope on. And listen and see if you have, I do have spiritual desires. I do love Christ. Only God could do that. I want you to bow your head with me. Do you have the hope of heaven? Or are you looking unto Jesus?